Welcome to the Ralph Moore Podcast. Gain the leadership advantage as Ralph pulls wisdom from his bag of over 50 years experience in planting and leading multiplying churches. Our goal is to help you live as a leader you'd want to follow. You'll learn about making disciples and planting churches, but beyond that, you'll gain practical wisdom about subjects like how to manage your team, handling difficult people, pulling a congregation off a growth plateau, and even money management. Hi, and welcome to today's podcast. This is part two of my interview with Steve Pike. Actually, it's the second interview. And we heard a lot about his approach as a missionary in Utah when he's a pastor, uh, his role in a denomination, planting over 400 churches a year, and yet the frustration that he felt over uh, urban areas and urban neighborhoods where not much is really being done or not much is succeeding. And so today we get to follow up on this, and and I'm going to ask Steve some questions about Urban Islands Project, about just the overalls of it, but about their strategy, Mm -hmm. and then tactics, because tactics change from town to town, neighborhood to neighborhood. And I want to hear, uh, one of the things that I've become accustomed to in this podcast is a lot of people are looking for answers and they're looking for practical answers. And sometimes those are at a tactical level more than a strategic level and, and they do change. But some of what I sense in Steve is this incredible uh, creativity. I've met with his people. I just, it's exciting to me. And so Steve, welcome again. And, and just thank you for taking time to be with us and please just introduce yeah. us to Urban Islands Project. Yeah, so Urban Islands Project grew out of my angst, and as I sat in that national chair uh, overseeing church planning everywhere, I started to realize, I started to note that um, when I would meet with groups of church planners, and I'd fly into a city, meet with them, and say, hey, tell me about what you guys are doing. They were, most of them were going to suburban places, and that's not a horrible thing. We need churches in, in suburban places as well, but I also was aware that demographically cities uh, population was growing again in city centers and things like that. These high rise buildings that are in city centers are not just office spaces. Many of them are high rise condo buildings where lots of people live. I mean, you think about the density. Um, And so anyway, um, uh, I, I just started praying about, you know, what, what do I do to respond to this? My first response was, well, maybe we could do this from this denominational level. But I, one of the things I realized looking at cities and studying cities was they're just too complicated for any one group to sort of win. You know, is anybody who, if a church planner stands on a platform and says, we're going to take, you know, Denver or Honolulu or something for Jesus, they're going to fail because nobody's going to do that by themselves. It's, it's, you know, God's, God's uh, got a lot of different kinds of people in cities. And that's what I, I became aware of. So like, I'm, I, because I was working for this denomination, I needed to help, uh, help those denominational churches be successful. And I realized really the best way to do that is to not just work with one denomination. And so, um, uh, I, I decided, you know, I, I need to, I need to do several things. Number one, I need to live in a city myself. Um, I was living in Springfield, Missouri, which is, you know, it's, it's a good sized town, but it's definitely not a city. So I thought we need to move into a city. We need to live in a city neighborhood, understand what it is to be city people, uh, who the people we're trying to reach sort of incarnate that idea. Uh, I need to do that personally. Number two, I, I needed to be able just to say the thing I, the thing I'm, I'm about is urban. So if you want to do suburban, that's great, but I, I can't, 
give energy to that or even rule as much as I, I love and care about rule. So that's that's where my mindset was when we started Urban Islands Project. The reason we called it Urban Islands Project was because cities, if, if you understand the sociology of cities, they're like a thousand islands smashed together. And so, you know, when you go into a city, you can't think about we're going to take the whole city. You might be able to think about we're going to make a significant and noticeable impact on a neighborhood, you know, but the city itself, big stuff happens in cities all the time that not everybody is aware of because they're just, they're just, they're just too big. And so uh, the, a better strategy that, and, and where I saw potential, like I saw the things that were working in cities, generally they were neighborhood focused kind of approaches. And so our, our, our original idea with urban islands project, was let's get together, let's let's find the people that are called into the same city at the same time and help them find each other and help them learn from it, each other in real time so that they're not just, because that's the other thing we realized was the current, the prevailing models weren't working. You know, raise a bunch of money, get a bunch of people together in a big room and start having services. Man, there's a whole bunch of reasons why that doesn't work in a city, economic reasons, demographic reasons. And so people that were trying to do that were spending a lot of money and often were just falling flat on their face. So we said, why don't we work with people that are called into neighborhoods and help them find each other, learn from each other in real time? And so that's what that's what we set out to do. In fact, I, I wrote a, I, I, the, this book is the story of what we learned from that next wave, discovering the 21st century church. Um, because what we realized as we did that was the principles we were discovering that helped the church thrive in the city environment, those principles are really universal um, and, and uh, are, are, are going to be important for the church going forward in the 21st century. So, um, so that's kind of what, what Urban Islands is. I think the, the, just, just to land the plane a little bit on, on what we try to do is, like I say, assemble the, we call them cohorts. We bring people together in cohorts. So that's just a temporary coming together, just like a, a, a educational cohort. You don't live your whole life out in that cohort. It's just for one to two years, these people journey together until they get what, what whatever they're trying to start get some traction and they move forward. And then, and so we've helped uh, a number of those cohorts form in, in many different cities. We had to pivot because we had so many people requesting help that that model was difficult to deliver where we, we went to the same city at the same time. So because of that, we've shifted to an online approach where now we can have people from multiple cities, but they're all going to a city neighborhood at the same time and learn from each other in real time in a cohort. So that's kind of the shift that we've made. And that's what we're doing now through Urban Islands Project. When you say that you're, you're using Zoom and the media and they, and they all go to a certain city at a certain time, you're meaning that they're going electronically and learning from somebody coming to coach well, you? Right, right, right. So like, for instance, right now, um, one of the, the cohorts are also different. One of them, uh, I'd say in the last year, one of them was composed of people that were in four or five different cities. Another one that we're currently working on is it's a uh, it's actually a church in New York City that wants to start multiple campuses throughout in different neighborhoods in the city. So they've got all of their leaders going through our cohort. So they're all geographically in the same place. So we can go either way. Uh, we found it harder 
Um, what the hardest thing that we ran into was getting buy-in from multiple denominations. Um, they all want to kind of do this for themselves. So I decided not to fight that. I just thought, let's just go straight to the planters. They're the ones that are feeling the pain, feeling the need. And, and those are the ones that have, that, so that's how we can serve them well is it doesn't matter where they're at. Uh, we can, we, we just bring them together at the same time via zoom and then help them figure out because the principles are universal, whether it's, you know, New York city or Denver or Nashville, it doesn't matter. So Steve, um, that's, that's your strategy at, at urban islands project. Tell us about a, a little bit more about a local church strategy and right. then uh, give us some more stories. Tell us, tell us some things. Uh, the one thing that I like to present on this podcast are, are things that are a little bit different uh, just to pe- <laughs> Uh, people's creativity, uh, get us out of our rut. You know, we keep using this term prevailing model. And the problem with the prevailing model is it's prevailing and we need to break free from that. And I know you guys, I I met some of your guys, there's some pretty creative things going on. I'd like to hear a little bit of that. I think that our audience really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, just, I think the best way to talk about the individual congregation, I mean, that's, that's what we help is, is we help them them transition from only knowing about the prevailing model and thinking, okay, in order to do this, I've got to raise, you know, half a million bucks and I've got to have 200 people and I've got to, and and so they start from this posture of climbing a mountain that is just impossible to climb in an urban context for for most people. And so, um, so the principles that apply are some of the principles that we help people do. Number one is we help them really get a more biblical vision of what the church is. You know, you've got to start with a vision that is a Bible vision of what the church is or a scriptural vision or Jesus vision of what church is not, not what has become again, not even to say that the prevailing model of, or, you know, expression of the church is wrong or bad, but it, it is one, it's really only one expression of many diverse things. You know, I've actually heard you talk about, I remember one of the things I, I heard you say was, you know, how many people does it take to have a church? And you gave an example of a young lady in Japan who was going to a coffee shop by herself and, and praying there and, and that she was the seed of a church. And so <laughs> it only takes one person. So, you know, that's the kind of stuff we help people start with is like almost deconstruct like, okay, the only appropriate church is the one that you know about to wait a minute, man, church can can express itself many different ways. Uh, and so that's the first thing. The second thing we realized was we have a under understanding of discipleship that is hurting us. And what we tend to do is we <clears throat> we pull these kind we try to get a bunch of people together and then start making disciples. We think that first comes the congregation and then we make disciples. And we realized, I mean, just all you got to do is read the read the book of Acts. They started out making disciples and then the, the church emerged out of that. You know, decide, go and make disciples what Jesus said to do. That's what they obeyed. That's what they did. So people, under, they say they understand it all the time, but they don't act like that. They still start the congregation and then they try to backfill or, or you know, add on disciple making. So we, we've suggest that um, disciple making, the other problem we have disciple making is we only focus on the post-conversion side of disciple making. But if you look at the story of people being disciples, I mean, when did the disciples become Christians? Um, that's a that's a pretty interesting question. Um, that Jesus's disciples, we don't, there isn't actually a agreed upon moment when they 
went from being not Christians to Christians. Um, people have speculated all kinds of stuff, but it looks like it's possible that for the three years that Jesus was with them, they weren't even actually saved. Um, they hadn't gotten to that point yet. So we say, you know, making disciples like two hands, you know, the left hand is is the pre-conversion disciple making, which involves relationship, connecting with people just where they're at, like we were talking about in the last uh, session together, you know, um, like journeying with, in our case, we were journeying with Mormon people who were still going to the Mormon church, but they were, they, they were wanting to know more about Jesus. And we didn't say, okay, you have to stop going there. You have to resign, blah, blah, blah. We just let the Holy Spirit work in them. That's pre-conversion disciple making. And not, and you're not the one who saves people. Anyway. We're not the one who saves people. anyway. And you know, then, one, you know, there's that. Well, 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 one thing to, to think about is in, in Matthew chapter 28, uh, we always read it from verses 18 on. If you read verse 17, it's the 11 who, who assembled there. Jesus has eaten with them after the resurrection. All these things have gone on, and it, and and it says some still doubted, and and yeah. he gave them the task. And I, you know, I think yeah. one one of the problems that we get into this to to me, you disciple people into Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. So follow me yeah. into this relationship. And the but the but the big bugbear there is money. We, we got to make budgets. We got to get a crowd in a hurry. So we assemble a whole bunch of Christians, and we don't have time. To, to you know, I talk right. to so many lead pastors who go, "Oh, I'm too busy to make disciples. I delegate that." It's like what? Which is <laughs> yes, and and that's exactly why the third thing we we always talk to them about is the you got to get that economic model fixed. It's so it's it's so crazy that we think the only way that a church can be funded is through tithes and offerings. Who does that incentivize you to go hang out with? People who know how to give tithes and offerings. And if you build a church on that, and you think that's the only way that church is going to be real and sustainable is through tithes and offerings, then you're you're actually con con constantly de-incentivized from going to hang out with people that aren't believers. And so we suggest, we actually have five revenue streams. We tell people, you know, when somebody says to me, I want to start a church in a city, I say, okay, give me a five-year business plan of how you're going to cultivate revenue out of these five categories of, of potential revenue. And, you know, if, if that makes sense, then maybe you can do it. And if it doesn't make sense, then you need to go back to the drawing board. You know, so so what we, we do is, is help people broaden. You know, there's money being left on the table all the time because we're limiting ourselves to tithes and offerings is the only way to support a church. And, um, you know, I know you, you guys, I mean, so I, I love how you, there's room for vocational, but there's also room for co-vocational for people who, you know, are marketplace leaders. They don't have to quit their job to, to raise up a congregation, to be the catalyst for a congregation. Um, it, you know, it's different. It's different than the traditional model of being a pastor. Um, but that's okay, because we need all different kinds. And so yeah, so, so those are some of the things, you know, when it comes to a strategy, you got to fix one of the five you know, before we move forward, what are the five categories? <laughs> okay, well, the first one is ties and offerings, but that's a disciple thing. That's a that's a heart thing. It's not about paying bills. Yeah. That's one of the biggest mistakes we've made is that we think ties and offerings are supposed we we attach them directly to bill paying. Hey folks, you know, we got to make budget this year, put more money in the offering. Yeah. That's the stupidest thing a leader can say. It's it's yeah. not helping people understand. It's really about protecting your heart from greed and materialism and all that. Number two is is donor-based giving, which is different. You know, ties and offerings come from the people who are being served by the church, by the ministry. Donor based is when you reach out to friends and say, hey, don't you guys agree we need to have a church in this urban neighborhood or something? And they're like, yeah, we'll never be there. We'll never go there. But we believe in it. 
that's a legitimate place to go look for funding. And that's, those are two kind of things everybody's already familiar with. And then the third one is co-vocational, which is asking, is there something I can do that is compatible? When I think of co, I think of compatible with being, facilitating or raising up a faith community. Is there something I can do that's not going to take me, you know, 60, 70 hours a week to, to make make the money? But so there's all kinds, I mean, designing websites, doing consulting, blah, blah, blah. There's all kinds of stuff people are doing now on the side, co-vocationally. The, the fourth and fifth one is where I think that's what I'm calling the blue ocean strategy. I think the, the most opportunity is in these two other categories, which is nonprofit partnerships. So that's going after grants. That's going, that's partnering with uh, other nonprofits that are, that are already doing great stuff in the community and finding ways to lower the cost of doing business, um, which kind of equals income uh, on a spreadsheet at the end of the day. And then, um, and then for-profit partnerships where you have these folks that are like starting coffee shops that are real great coffee shops first, but they also happen to be a place for the church to gather and, you know, kind of a hub of the community um, uh, for-profit. Just again, the sky's the limit there. People are, the creativity is just amazing. I have a friend who uh, started a church and started a consulting business where he now sits in he spends 25% of his time with the church and 75% of his time in CEO offices, helping them run their businesses, Fortune 500 companies, stuff like that. He's the pastor of a local church. And the way he's able to serve that church is through the income he receives from consulting on the outside. And so, uh, you know, there's just, that's, that's a for-profit model. So uh, one of my favorite stories about for-profit is, is Jose Perez, who's a, my friend. He calls me up and he says, uh, God had called me to start a church in downtown Minneapolis, but I cannot figure out the ROI. Well, that's, you know, it's a business term. And I thought most church planners don't talk that way. So I said, tell me your story, Jose, because I bet in your story is the answer to your question. He said, I grew up in the nation of Venezuela. I became a professional dancer. I started a dance studio. I ended up owning a chain of dance studios across the nation of Venezuela. I said, Jose, do people in Minneapolis need to know how to dance? He said, see. I said, do you know how to start a dance studio? He said, see. Oh, six months later, he started One Reason Dance Studio. Six months after that, he started One Reason Church. Tell you what, it's the funnest church you're ever going to go to if if, if you like dancing. (laughs) (laughs) So, so that's, you know, that, those are the, 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 what I love is when you open up these other channels of ec- economy, all of a sudden, it also helps you be creative about what the shape of the church is and what it looks like and who it's reaching. And so we, we've been putting a lid on what we're able to do because we've restricted ourselves to this one model of being the church that is actually pretty effective in a lot of places. I'm not, I'm not knocking the prevailing model. I'm not saying it's bad. It's just, there's a lot of places where that isn't helpful. And what's beautiful is how God is just opening up all kinds of opportunities. So there's one of your, that's an example of, uh, of uh, Jenna and, and uh, Jose Perez who are in Minneapolis. That's, that's a, the, the dance church is a great example of some of the creative stuff we're seeing. That's another one from another place. Oh man. Uh, yeah. So let me, let me, so there's, there's a guy named Eric Hoke who, um, was actually on staff at a sort of a conventional church in New York city. And, and God just really broke his heart for the Bronx, which is kind of the last place on most people's list of places to go start a church. But, 
you know, uh, Eric just felt compelled to do that. And so he and his wife bought, they, they, it's really tough even buying stuff or renting stuff in, in those New York, uh, uh, boroughs, uh, and, and, but they, they wanted to express their commitment to the community. So they, they bought a, um, I forget, they call it a co-op, which is kind of the same thing as a condo in most places where, you know, you collectively own the building and then you, you, you own your unit. So they're saying, we're here. We're not going anywhere. We're not just renting. We're serious about being here. And, um, Eric, started you know he he was influenced heavily by the prevailing model so at first he was hoping that the ties and offerings would not do it for him or would do it for him but it just wasn't happening so um he realized what do i do every week as i get up and i and i present you know i prepare a message i present it i'm i've actually a pretty good communicator so he went out and and i forget how he got ramped onto this but he ended up now he is a presenter for this company that that sends people into businesses and they do these business presentations so all week long he's doing that all over, they fly him all over the country he makes these presentations come back on sunday and connects with people um but at the same time because of the nature of the church it's it's not just a weekend congregation church but it's a a church um it's called um uh, i just blanked uh, um I just, oh, all saints church all saints church in the bronx you can look it up on on the web and so you know again just examples from all different kinds of places shapes and places another friend of mine started a coffee house church um that basically the way he determined where to start the church he asked the question can this neighborhood support a coffee shop is there a market for a coffee shop here so that's how they decided where to start the church because they figured if there's a market for a coffee shop, there's enough people in that community that would be interested in, um, you know, some kind of a, a, a Christian gathering. It turned out to be a pretty, great, pretty great way to find a place, find places. So now he's got. I think he's getting ready to start his fifth location in the uh, the metro area that he's in. Um, and uh, so, I mean, I could just. I could go on. We have we have a lady in in Russia, Katya. We just she was on our call yesterday. We asked her, "How's it going?" You know, with all this stuff going on right now with Russia attacking Ukraine, and she just, "Oh, would you please pray for, you know, our our, our brothers and sisters in Ukraine? They feel bad for you know the people." And so this lady has a uh, network of microchurches that she leads in um, uh, in Russia. They're completely illegal. Uh, <laughs> And they find such, she sent us a video. She posted it on our, on our uh, community, our online community for Next Wave. She posted this video of them standing around this fire pit. They're dressed in park as they're standing on snow and they're singing worship praise songs together. She said, that's, that's kind of what we have to do because she said, we're technically not allowed to meet inside if it's not an official church. So if we meet outside, um, we're, we're much safer in doing that. So anyway, just all these different ways of being the church that that we're seeing we get to be part of it's just a blessing oh that's really really cool exciting um if people want to get a little bit more information they want to make contact with you maybe they they, they would like to be part of your network how would they yeah. how would they make the connection yeah they can go to nextwave.community well, thanks and thanks for taking time to do this thank you this is awesome If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and check his blog at ralphmoore.net.